The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 1. Book 2, The Paper Age, Chapter 6, Windbags. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 2, Chapter 6, Windbags. So marches the world in this its paper age or era of hope. Not without obstructions, war explosions, which, however, heard from such distance, are little other than a cheerful marching music. If, indeed, that dark living chaos of ignorance and hunger, five and twenty million strong under your feet, were to begin playing. For the present, however, consider Longchamp, now when Lent is ending and the glory of Paris and France has gone forth as in annual want, not to assist at Tenebris masses, but to sun itself and show itself and salute the young spring, manifold, bright-tinted, glittering with gold, all through the Bois de Boulogne in long-drawn, variegated rows, like long-drawn living flower-borders, tulips, dahlias, lilies of the valley, all in their moving flower-pots of new gilt carriages, pleasure of the eye and pride of life. So rolls and dances the procession, steady, a firm assurance, as if it rolled on adamant and the foundations of the world, not on mere heraldic parchment, under which smoulders a lake of fire. Dance on, ye foolish ones. Ye sought not wisdom, neither have ye found it. Ye and your fathers have sown the wind, ye shall reap the whirlwind. Was it not from of old written, the wages of sin is death? But at Longchamp, as elsewhere, we remark for one thing, that dame and cavalier are waited on each by a kind of human familiar named jockey. Little elf or imp, though young, already withered, with its withered air of premature vice, of knowingness, of completed elfhood, useful in various emergencies. The name jockey, jockey, comes from the English, as the thing also fancies that it does. Our Anglomania, in fact, has grown considerable, prophetic of much. If France is to be free, why shall she not, now when mad war is hushed, love neighbouring freedom? Cultivated men, your Dukes de Lioncourt, de la Rochefoucauld, admire the English constitution, the English national character, would import what of it they can. Of what is lighter, especially if it be light as wind, how much easier the freightage. Non-admiral, Duc de Chartres, not yet d'Orléans or Egalité, flies to and fro across the strait, importing English fashions. This he, as hand and glove with an English Prince of Wales, is surely qualified to do. Carriages and saddles, top boots and reading goats, as we call riding coats. Nay, the very mode of riding, for now no man on a level with his age, but will trot à l'anglaise, rising in the stirrups, scornful of the old sit-fast method in which, according to Shakespeare, butter and eggs go to market. Also he can urge the fervid wheels, this brave chartre of ours. No whip in Paris is rasher and surer than the unprofessional one of Monseigneur. Elf jockeys we have seen, but now real Yorkshire jockeys, and what they ride on and train, English racers for French races. These likewise we owe first, under the providence of the devil, to Monseigneur. 
Prince d'Artois also has his stud of racers. Prince d'Artois has with all the strangest horse-leech, a moonstruck, much-enduring individual of Neuchâtel in Switzerland named Jean-Paul Marat. A problematic Chevalier Deon, now in petticoats, now in breeches, is no less problematic in London than in Paris and causes bets and lawsuits. Beautiful days of international communion. Swindlery and blackguardism have stretched hands across the channel and saluted mutually. On the racecourse of Vincennes or Sablon, behold, in English curricle and four, wafted glorious among the principalities and rascalities, an English Dr. Dodd, for whom also the two early gallows gapes. Duke de Chartres was a young prince of great promise, as young princes often are, which promise, unfortunately, has belied itself. With the huge Orléans property, with the Duc de Pontrièvre for father-in-law and now the young brother-in-law Lamballe killed by excesses, he will one day be the richest man in France. Meanwhile, his hair is all falling out, his blood is quite spoiled by early transcendentalism of debauchery. Carbuncles stud his face, dark studs on a ground of burnished copper. A most signal failure, this young prince. The stuff prematurely burnt out of him, little left but foul smoke and ashes of expiring sensualities. What might have been thought, insight and even conduct, gone now or fast going, to confused darkness, broken by bewildering dazzlements, to obstreperous crotchets, to activities which you may call semi-delirious or even semi-galvanic. Paris affects to laugh at his charioteering, but he heeds not such laughter. On the other hand, what a day not of laughter was that when he threatened for Lucas' sake to lay sacrilegious hands on the Palais Royal Garden. The flower parterre shall be riven up, the chestnut avenues shall fall, time-honoured boscages under which the opera hammer dryads were wont to wander, not inexorable to men. Paris moans aloud. Philidor from his Café de la Régence shall no longer look on greenness. The loungers and losels of the world where now shall they haunt. In vain is mosing, the axe glitters, the sacred groves fall crashing, for indeed Monseigneur was short of money. The opera hammy dryads fly with shrieks. Shriek not, ye opera hammer dryads, or not as those that have no comfort. He will surround your garden with new edifices and piazzas, though narrowed it shall be replanted, dizened with hydraulic Jets, cannon which the sun fires at noon, things bodily, things spiritual, such as man has not imagined. And in the Palais Royal shall again, and more than ever, be the sorcerer's Sabbath and Satan at home of our planet. What will not mortals attempt? From remote Annonay in the Vivarais, the brothers Montgolfier send up their paper dome filled with the smoke of burnt wool. The Vivaray Provincial Assembly is to be prorogued this same day. Vivaray Assembly members applaud and the shouts of congregated men. Will victorious analysis scale the very heavens then? Paris hears with eager wonder. Paris shall ere long see. From Réveillon's paper warehouse there in the Rue Saint-Antoine, a noted warehouse, the new Montgolfier airship launches itself. Ducks and poultry are born skyward, but now shall men be born. Nay, chemist Charles thinks of hydrogen and glazed silk. 
Chemist Charles will himself ascend from the Tuileries garden, Montgolfier solemnly cutting the cord. By heaven, he also mounts, he and another? Ten times ten thousand hearts go palpitating, all tongues are mute with wonder and fear, till a shout like the voice of seas rolls after him on his wild way. He soars, he dwindles upwards, as become a mere gleaming circlet, like some turgotine snuff-box, what we call turgotine platitude, like some new daylight moon. Finally he descends, welcomed by the universe. Duchess Polignac with a party is in the Bois de Boulogne, waiting, though it's drizzly winter, the 1st of December, 1783. The whole chivalry of France, Duke de Chartres foremost, gallops to receive him. Beautiful invention, mounting heavenward so beautifully, so unguidably. Emblem of March, and our age of hope itself, which shall mount specifically light, majestically in this same manner, and hover, tumbling with a fate will. Well, if it do not, Pilatre-like explode, and demount all the more tragically. So, riding on windbags, will men scale the Empyrean. Or observe Herr Dr. Mesmer in his spacious magnetic halls. Long stoled he walks, reverend, glancing upwards as in rapt commerce, an antique Egyptian hierophant in this new age. Soft music flits, breaking fitfully the sacred stillness. Round their magnetic mystery, which to the eye is mere tubs with water, sit breathless, rod in hand, the circles of beauty and fashion, each circle a living, circular passion flower, expecting the magnetic afflatus and new manufactured heaven on earth. O oh, women, O oh, men, great is your infidel faith, a parliamentary Duport, a Burgas d'Espremenil, we notice there, chemist Berthelet, too, on the part of Monseigneur de Chartres. Had not the Academy of Sciences, with its Bayes, Franklins, Lavoisiers, interfered? But it did interfere. Mesmer may pocket his hard money and withdraw. Let him walk silent by the shore of the Bodensi, by the ancient town of Constance, meditating on much. For so, under the strangest new vesture, the old great truth, since no vesture can hide it, begins again to be revealed, that man is what we call a miraculous creature with miraculous power over men, and on the whole, with such a life in him, and such a world round him, as victorious analysis with her physiologies, nervous systems, physic and metaphysic, will never completely name, to say nothing of explaining. Wherein also the quack shall, in all ages, come in for his share. End of Book 2, Chapter 6